Well, good morning. Welcome, everybody. It's great to be back. I got the uh, privilege of going down to Atlanta last weekend and seeing Cameron Hoffman and Sydney get married. That was fun. We missed you guys. Uh, I think half the church was down there. Just kidding. I felt like all the people who set up stuff in the morning. So everyone that filled in in the morning and was moving, moving things around, uh, thank you for doing that. It was awesome to see on, on uh, FaceTime, I saw David Tharp get baptized. That was inspiring, encouraging. And uh, yeah, it's just been an encouraging month to see the ways that God is moving. It's been encouraging to, to be back in person and to be together uh, on Sunday mornings. It's also great to see some familiar faces here this Sunday. I see um, um, Anna Mitchell. I almost called you Anna Ardine. Sorry. Anna Mitchell is here. It's great to see Anna. I saw some pictures of you in Frick Park. I hoped it was Frick because that meant you were going to be here today. So it's great to see you. And then Harry and Veronica McDonald are here. I'm going to say hi to them. Veronica came on the church planting here almost, uh, what is it, about 27 years ago. Okay, amen. But uh, so cool to have you back here and uh, to celebrate together. And what an appropriate service to be as we talk about missions, as we talk about uh, going out and doing the work of God. You know, we're the greater Pittsburgh Church of Christ. We strive to help every person believe in Jesus, belong to family, become disciples, and bring God's kingdom. That's who we are. That's what we're striving to do. And so in order to do that, uh, we, we try to make sure that we're outward focused as a church. And so I'm going to sh share a little bit about our special missions collection, and uh, we'll, we'll take up a collection at the end, and we'll get into scriptures right after this. But uh, what we, our goal this year is to raise $25,000. Last year we raised about $22,000. And so it's very doable for our church coming out of the pandemic era, maybe into another pandemic era, but hopefully not, prayerfully not. But uh, amen. So the goal is to send $10,000 to our churches over in Malaysia. And so how our family of churches work is uh, mostly in the United States and in Europe, we kind of pair up and say, okay, how can we support churches all over the world? And we kind of took a a little stencil and divided up the world, right? And so the church in Pittsburgh supports the church in Malaysia. And the church in Malaysia is doing so many incredible things. Later in the year, we'll have a video from them of some good news that they're doing. They're planting churches left and right. And the money that we give here is like worth three to four times as much over there. And so what we give here really makes a difference. So the goal is to send $10,000 over to Malaysia. And there's some of the brothers and sisters there in the picture. And then uh, we want to keep some of it local and really build up the city ministry, the professionals ministry, the campus ministry, and really potentially bring in somebody and make a new hire to help with those ministries as well. We also this year, something we want to do differently or going into next year, is we, want to, we really want to build up the youth and family ministry, right? And so we've, we've set aside some funds to help create some great events, to help have some interns in that ministry as well. And then something we do within the ACR family of churches, which is the Atlantic Commonwealth region, that's uh, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Ohio, Kentucky, Delaware, Washington, D.C., kind of those areas. I hope I didn't miss one of those states. But the, uh, the idea is that we've all kind of pooled some of our resources and said, how can we team up to plant churches in that area, to reach kind of these city centers that are un unreached currently? And so recently, over the last three or four years, we've helped in Pennsylvania plant the Lehigh Valley Church. Uh, coming up in a few years is the Morgantown, West Virginia planting, the Washington, D.C. replanting. And so there's a lot of churches around Washington, D.C., but there's a replant of the church in the city of Washington, D.C. as well. And so we send some money over to ACR Missions, and then every year we try to give to Camp Forge, to the Forge Camp, also known as Camp Hope for Kids. That's over outside of Philadelphia. 
and they do a lot of great work uh, for the, the city there as well as for our churches. And so that's kind of the breakdown of what we're raising money for. I think it's always important. One, it's always important to talk about money. It's one of my least favorite things to talk about, but Jesus talked about it all the time. It's one of his favorite topics. You're like, Jesus, should you really be talking about money? That's what he does, right? And that's what we do as Christians. We know where our treasure is, there our heart will be also, right? And so when we put our treasure someplace, our heart will follow. When we put our treasure in the mission, our heart gets more centered around the mission. Does that make sense? And so that's why we talk about money. That's why we collect money to go and do the work of Jesus around the world. And so those are some of our goals for this year. If you have a Bible, turn over to Luke chapter 16. So keep that in the back of your mind. We're going to look at a parable today as we're going through the book of Luke. The idea with Luke for the year, our theme is a year of loving biblically, right? So we're looking at how Jesus loved people. So we'll be in Luke 16, and some of you, the savvy individuals in the room here, will say, hold on a second, we were just in Luke 14, are you telling me you're going to skip Luke 15? Some of you are, are, are up in arms, you're ready to, to, to throw down. Uh, no, we will get to Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, the story of the, the wandering sheep, the story of the, uh, the lost coin. We're going to get into all that later in the year, right? We're going to spend a, actually a whole month talking about that parable because there's so much in there, right? And we don't want to just uh, glaze over it. But uh, so we'll come back to that. Um, you get that? We'll, we'll come back to the story of the prodigal son. See what I did there? I had to point it out, which is never a good sign, but... We'll, we'll, we'll loop back to that. But today we're going to be in Luke 16, and we're going to talk about the parable of the shrewd manager, which is one of the most confusing parables in the Bible. So I just want you to know today, today's going to be a little bit unpolished. You might be thinking, well, isn't it always a little unpolished? No, today's going to be especially unpolished as we talk about what this parable could mean, and you might not walk out with an answer, and that's okay. As we'll talk about today, it's okay to dive into Scripture and not understand it. Sometimes we, we freak out about that and we think, well, if I can't understand this, I can't understand any of it, right? And we can go to a weird place or we kind of make up stuff, right? Well, I think this means this and it must mean that the shrewd manager means that I need to go and buy friends. And you're like, well, how did you get there, right? But we can kind of fill in the blanks. And I think sometimes we just have to be okay with the tension of not fully knowing what, what a parable might exactly be saying. Now we know the important stuff, right? We know that Jesus is Lord, we know, that, we know what it means to live as a Christian. We know what it means to receive the forgiveness of sins through baptism, faith, and repentance. We know these things to be absolutely true. Those are the big things. Sometimes understanding the depth or some of the prophecies in the Bible, we, we might scratch our head, and that's okay. We don't have to pretend to know everything, but we do need to know the important stuff. So we're going to dive into this passage today and hopefully walk away with some sort of understanding of what God wants from our lives. So with all that to be said, let's dive into the scripture and let's read. The title of today's message, by the way, is called Amen? Question marks. <laughs> Amen? Uh, that is the title today. So that will make sense as we go on, <laughs> prayerfully. All right, Luke chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account to your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I am not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. 
I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? Then he asked the second, or sorry, the, the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400, or 900 gallons of olive oil. He replied, make it 450. Verse 7, then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwelling. Yeah, you read that right. Isn't that confusing? You're like, no, 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 this isn't Jesus. What is this? Some extra biblical text? No, it seems like on the surface level, Jesus is saying, hey, be like this shrewd manager. He cheated his master out of some money. He was dishonest, but he was commended because now he has friends. So you two should be dishonest with your resources so that you can make it to heaven. Amen. Well, that's the message today. I, I pray that you put that into practice. Let's all go out and be dishonest. No, of course not. That is, that is not what Jesus would be saying. And we know this through a couple things. And one of the things that can help you when you're trying to understand a confusing passage is to look at the character of God. Surely something can't be taught by Jesus that's not in line with the character of who God is. A great example is the, the story where Jesus, um, the, the woman comes and says, hey, can you heal my daughter? And he goes, hey, it's not right to give to dogs what is meant for the children. And you read that, you're like, well, Jesus is being a jerk. Surely not can he be saying that. But if we know the character of God, we know that there's something bigger going on in this story. Right? Now you're like, now there's two stories I'm confused about. But we're not talking about that one today. Amen? But we know the character of God. We can look and say, surely Jesus is not saying it is good to be dishonest. Let me say that in the back. Jesus is not saying it's good to be dishonest. We know this to be true because he teaches, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He challenges the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. Surely Jesus is not calling anyone to be dishonest ever. He's calling people to be honest, of course. So that's not the teaching of the parable. Sometimes we get the dishonesty and the shrewdness confused. We'll keep that in mind. We'll come back to that in just a second. Because we got to start with what the passage isn't saying. Jesus is not saying it's good to manipulate people. Because we know that's not the character of God. We know that Jesus isn't saying to lie to people. And we know that Jesus is not saying trust in your own financial savviness to get you into heaven. We know that Jesus teaches the opposite time and time again, right? So that's the stuff Jesus ain't saying, okay? Get that out of the way and then let's dive a little bit deeper to see what is Jesus actually saying. Something that can help us is to know what kind of parable this is. There's different kinds of parables. Some are introducing the value system of the kingdom of God. Some of the parables introduce kind of a, the end is near, how will you respond? This is similar to that. It's called a crisis parable. And what Jesus is introducing is here's a crisis that a person might encounter. And here is a response to that crisis. And when you experience crisis, a crisis of faith, a crisis of facing your own sins, fill in the blank, when you experience a crisis, the call is how will you respond to said crisis? You could even say when you face your wit's end. Okay, see, I told you it would come back. When you face your wit's end, how will you respond in those moments? And so this is a crisis parable, and that can help us just a little bit. I have three points 
The first is a shaky security. A shaky security. This guy experiences his wits end. He runs into a problem. He is caught as either being a cheat when it comes to being a manager, right? He's wasting the master's possessions, or he's just not a very good manager. We don't need to know which one it is. All that matters is he's not good at his job, and he's about to lose it, right? He's faced with his security, his job, being ripped away from him. This shaky, or this foundation that he had is now beginning to crumble and shake like a Jenga uh, game right there. I don't know. I was going to say Jenga board, but that's not a thing. But uh, he's experiencing his security being shaken. He knows that things cannot continue as they were, right? He can't keep his job. He doesn't even um, bother begging here. He doesn't say, hey, let me, let me get some help. In fact, he knows he's in trouble as well. He's like, hey, I can't dig and I'm not going to beg. He goes, my, my security, my world has been shattered. And I think it exposes that his source of security was in the wrong thing, right? It exposes that when we put, and it's, it's human nature, right? To put our trust in the things that we think we can control, like a job or like a relationship or like a, a friendship or like our finances. But time and time again, those prove to be shaky sources of security, right? And they begin to wobble. In fact, today, uh, all the points have W's. So even though shaky security makes a little bit more sense, we're going to get rid of that. We're going to change it to wobbly worth, right? So we're going to be in all W's today. But wobbly worth, basically the source of his worth is wobbly. And weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. But uh, it's insecure. And it's this wobbly worth. You see why I started with shaken security. I might have lost you if I led with wobbly worth. But uh, the idea is the thing that is the source of his worth is, is insecure or wobbly. So his response is to engage in wise work. So what does he do? He says, okay, let me, let me pull aside the, uh, the tenant farmers of my master. And so basically what would happen is a master of a property or of the area or of a town would have all of this land. And then these tenant farmers would farm it, but then they would have to give a percentage to the owner of the vineyard. And there's tons of parables about this concept, right? And so um, a, a manager or a steward of the uh, finances would then go and say, okay, how much do you owe my master? Okay, you owe him, you know, in this scenario, right? Uh, 450 gallons of olive oil. Okay, I need to collect that and we need to give it. But just like Zacchaeus or tax collector, his commission, his finances would come from whatever he collected above that amount, right? So he might only need to collect, according to his master, um, I don't know, say, say 400, but he charges 450. Does that make sense? And that's what he gets to keep. That's not deceptive. That's how he makes his living. That's called a commission, right? And that's what he's doing. Anyone in sales knows how that works. Um, but that's what's going on here. And so he goes, hold on, let me go and let me square off some of the debts here. And we don't know exactly what's going on here because we'd have to put ourselves fully into this, this parable and we're living um, 2,000 years later. But uh, most likely, he is getting rid of his commission. And so he's making friends with these tenant farmers so that he'll have relationships after he loses his job. And he's actually not cheating his master, most likely, but he's actually cheating himself out of the commission he would normally get. Does that make sense? And so he's actually um, taking a loss personally to eventually gain more relationships to be employed in the future. So that could be an option. 
or he is taking a little bit away from the master. We don't know which one it is. But if he's taking a little bit away from the master, what's cool about this is that the, all the tenant farmers would have been praising the master after all this. Not the manager, but the master of the, uh, of the area, right? The, the owner of the vineyard. They would be praising him because the price was just reduced, right? Imagine if you're renting and your landlord said, how much is your rent? 900? Let's make it 800. You would be like, I got the best landlord ever. <laughs> this is awesome. And you would be grateful. And, and the, uh, if you were working for that person, you would probably work a little bit harder. You would work a little bit more generously. You would, you would have a better affection or respect for that person that you're serving. And so the, the steward here or the manager is actually boosting the reputation of the master. And so he's also securing himself, right? The master can't go back and say, what did my, what did my manager say? He said 800. No, no, no. It's actually 950. Let's, let's bump that back because he would look like a jerk, right? So he's kind of stuck that he's got to stick with it, but he's also receiving praise and probably a better deal. That's kind of in my understanding of this passage. And you might be like, well, which one is it? Or which of those scenarios is it? I don't know. And that's okay. That's what we'll talk about uh, today. But he's engaging in wise work. And that's the important thing. He's being shrewd in taking action. He knows I can't beg for my job. He's not just going to sit there and wallow, but he says, I got to take action and do something. I'm faced with a crisis and I'm called to quick action, smart action, because I need to do something about the situation that I'm in. And that's what he's praised for. The third idea here is a warm welcome. He receives a warm welcome. It says that the master commended him, not for his dishonesty, but for his shrewdness. Shrewdness is more of wisdom, right? Because he's wise enough to get to work and turn things around, he gets praised for that. This is one of my favorite pictures. It's called the first day of heaven. I love it. But, but this guy, we'll, we'll talk about it a little later too. But this guy receives a, a warm welcome from the, the owner of the vineyard or the owner of the property, right? He says, hey, I commend you for your shrewdness. But we also don't know if he got his job back. It's unclear in the story, right? But he at least commends him. He says, your shrewdness is admirable. Your wisdom, your wise work that we just talked about, it's admirable. And eventually this guy receives his security back in some way, shape, or form. Either he gets his job back, or now he has these relationships in the community, and he's going to be able to work for some of those people, right? So he has found a way to have his security restored. So that's kind of the overall idea of the parable, right? There's this wobbly source of worth, and then there's wise work that the steward or the manager engages in, and then there's a warm welcome that he receives. So you listen to all that, and you're like, okay, but then there's this weird verse 8 and verse 9, and you're like, so what really is Jesus saying? Let's, let's look back at it. He goes in, uh, I guess it's 8b, right? For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than, than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth, there's two W's again, to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwelling. So it seems like Jesus is saying, be like this shrewd manager. And that sounds good, except that he was dishonest. And we're like, hold on, it's Jesus. We know he's not calling us to be honest or dishonest, but what is he actually calling us to do? So let's look back at these principles and see how they apply to our own life. Sound good? You guys still with me? Amen. All right. Let's go back to not shaky security, but wobbly worth. Amen. <laughs> 
So for us, we can relate a little bit to this story in that there are things that we put our security in, things that we get our security from that are ultimately weak or insecure sources of security. There are things that we just, that, that aren't bad, by the way, and aren't, aren't uh, bad things to pursue. But we face these moments where, where our security gets exposed that, that we probably put a little bit too much of our worth connected. And a great example is your job, right? Oftentimes, how do you introduce yourself? Well, I, I'm this, or I do that. And someone says, well, what do you do? I'm an engineer. I'm a teacher. I'm a, you're, what you do for a living is closely tied to your identity, right? And there are other things as we go through kind of social issues in our world today where there's things about us that become so deeply tied to our worth and who we are and our identity. And then we put our stock in these worldly things that are insecure. And so we face similar crises to what this, uh, this shrewd manager uh, interacts with. And so these are great things, but they're poor sources of worth or security. One of the greatest quotes I've, I've read uh, in all the books that I've read this year is that things that are not God stink at being God. Things that are not God stink at being God. I love that line because it's so simple. It's so, so basic, but it's so true, right? Things in our life that we want to be God Maybe you're, you're married and you expect your spouse to love you like God loves you. It's not going to happen. They're going to strive to do it and amen, but it's not going to happen. You think uh, this job will, will be like God to you and make you feel fulfilled. It's not going to happen. There are days that that will happen. But things that are not God stink at being God in our lives. A good example is when you're expecting something great. I love donuts. Those that don't know, I love donuts. I was just in Atlanta uh, Sam Fowler was driving me around and I was like, can we go to this donut place or this donut place? And then I got like six donuts and was eating them in the front seat and not sharing. And Sam just goes, you really like donuts, huh? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I love donuts. Um, what was I going with that? Hey, Amen. give me some donuts if you can. But uh, I love donuts. But we all know that there are good donuts and not so good donuts. Donuts that are worth it and donuts that are not worth it, right? So there is um, a... We live near two different Dunkin' Donuts. One is new and it has good donuts. One is older and it doesn't have good donuts, right? And if you're in the Forest Hills area, don't go to the Forest Hills Dunkin' Donuts, you know? It's my Yelp review. Go to the one in, uh, in, in Wilkins. It's a lot better. But sometimes you're near a bad Dunkin' Donuts. You're like, oh, I want a donut. Or sometimes you're in the grocery store. You're like, oh, I want a donut. You take a bite out of it. You eat it still. And you're like, okay, it's still a donut. But you just end up disappointed, right? It's not a great donut. Again, where am I going with this? There are things that are worth, uh, worth it, but when we settle for something that's less than, we're just going to be disappointed, right? So don't get a bad donut. But don't, don't put our trust, don't put our hope in the wrong thing. When we face the crisis in this story of the lost job, um, sometimes that, that crisis is because we put our hope too much in the wrong thing. Sometimes it just happens, right? Sometimes we just experience a, a source of our security. There's nothing wrong or, or sinful that we've done, but uh, we've seen that, that source of security removed from our lives. And what we need to do in those moments is turn to God, is hold on to God uh, coming from the welcome today. Uh, even in this story, by the way, the Pharisees who are, are in the audience of this, they are kind of losing their job, so to speak, right? Jesus is coming in and he's bringing the new Jerusalem and the Pharisees are going to be out of a job. And so Jesus is trying to say, you're going to face a similar crisis to this guy here. Make sure you respond well 
to me in the process so that you can receive the welcome that you're meant to have. So that's kind of in the subtext of what's going on as well. So how do we experience or how do we engage in wise work? I think this is the hardest part of the parable to understand. Because what does it look like for us to then be shrewd managers? And there's a couple things that can help us in this. All right? The first is that, again, the manager is not praised for his dishonesty, but praised for being shrewd. Shrewd or wise work is the goal, not dishonest work. And what's happening in this story is what's known as a, a classic rabbinical teaching of from the lesser to the greater. And it's basically like, if this sleazeball of a person can, can turn his life around and experience a warm welcome, how much more so can you, the follower of Christ? That's essentially what Jesus is saying, right? He's saying, if this small thing can, can achieve this, how much more can you? An example of this would be if the Browns can beat the Bengals, surely the Steelers can beat the Bengals, right? The, the lesser argument to the greater argument. That was in favor of the Steelers, right? If, if the stinking Browns can do it, then surely the Steelers can do it. Or if Dave Sabo can beat you in cornhole, then I surely can beat you in cornhole, right? From the lesser to the greater. So that's the argument. And Jesus, by the way, uses this argument. Oh, he's like, see me outside. Anyway, <laughs> he uses this argument all the time. He goes, if this is how God feels about the flowers, how much more so does he feel towards you? If this is God, how God feels about sparrows and birds, the lesser, how much more so the greater in you? He says the same thing in the parable of the unjust judge. Right? In that story, this widow comes before the judge and is asking for help and praying and, and asking for relief. And finally, the judge says, I don't care about justice, but I'll give it to you because you are persistent enough. And then Jesus goes, that's how you should pray. And you're like, is God the unjust judge in this story? No, he's saying if an unjust judge is going to be moved by, by persistence, how much more so will our loving and just father be moved by your persistence? Does that make sense? And so what's happening here is if this guy can be shrewd and turn his life around and respond to a, a shaken sense of security in a, a good way, how much more so can we, equipped with the gospel of Jesus, respond to our security being ripped from us? That's the message here. If he can be shrewd, how much more so can we be shrewd and wise in our work? You guys following that? Yeah. So then the question is, what does our, our wise work look like? And I think what's happening in this story is revealed a little bit more in verses 10 through 15. So let's read just a little bit more. All right, you guys feel like you're kind of understanding the parable? It's kind of coming together? Amen. That's the goal. Amen? Amen. That's the title. All right, we'll come to the amen part. Verse 10 says, Whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? This is kind of referencing the, the parable of the talents, but the idea is if you prove faithful with a little bit, God wants to give you more. But if you're not able to handle the responsibility, the things that God has entrusted you with, then God is not going to give you more, right? If, if you can't handle that, then God's not going to give you more. And then verse 13 ties a little bow on everything and says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Or some of your Bibles might say you cannot serve both God and mammon. 
and that's kind of a reference to a, a God of money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And that very end gives us a little bit of insight to what's going on. Jesus is using this crisis parable to flip our values upside down. Right? Instead of looking for protection in a way to gain security through worldly means, instead, as we choose to pour ourselves out, as we choose to live generously, as we choose to be shrewd and, and, and true shrewdness, which is valuing God's kingdom over our own security, then we will receive a rich welcome in the end. Does that make sense? He's saying that to flip your values. What the world says is good, God finds detestable. Going after riches, putting other people down, good business savvy that's dishonest, that's not good, that's detestable to God. But using what God has given you and pouring yourself out and giving your resources, that then is valuable in God's kingdom. And so he's flipping our value system upside down. And that's what Jesus is doing in this parable and calling us to do. That's what he's calling the Pharisees to do and calling the townspeople here to do, to change your value system. It's the work of re-evaluation, right? Recently, we're having, we're, we've had a hearing for our home to be re-evaluated. Basically, it's listed uh, to the government as about half of what we actually paid for it, right? Which means our real estate tax is gonna shoot up. And so we hired someone to say, hey, basically walk around our house and tell us that it's not that good, right? So they walked around, they're like, okay, you know, not good over here, or this, you know, this is, you know, basically they're trying to bring the value down. And I think we need to do that a little bit in the things that we put our trust in of this world that are shaky sources of security and say, no, this isn't what I want to put my worth in. And then look at the things of God and elevate those things above and say, okay, I want to have the right kind of valuation or value system that reflects the heart of God. This is that shrewdness. And what's cool about the shrewdness is even in the idea of being shrewd, it seems a little bit selfish. But check this out. One of the most self-protective things you can ever do is to pursue a relationship with God. It's actually, and this is going to sound funny, it's actually one of the most selfish things you can do. But not a sinful selfish. But if God is truly God and heaven is real, then pouring your life out to pursue God is you saving, not saving yourself, only Jesus can save, but you protecting yourself. It, it, it's actually selfish. Again, not sinful selfish. Don't, don't take that the wrong way. But it's shrewd. It's saying, I'm going to put my trust fully in God because that is where salvation alone lies. Nothing else in this world. So I'm going to live, you know, it's kind of the idea of self-care. Sometimes people think that self-care um, somehow prevents you from following Jesus. But the most self-care thing you can do is follow Jesus, right? That's the, the best way to care for yourself. And again, that's not minimizing actual things of self-care that can be helpful. But what I'm saying is protect yourself by pursuing Jesus. That's a shrewd way to live, to really pursue God. I, I have a hard time with, uh, not just with this passage, but with this idea because it's so easy for me to value the things of this world over the things of God. And I, I get really excited about adventure and really excited about finding new things. And it's easy for me to do research on those things, for me to not want to miss an opportunity. 
So I went to Atlanta. I'm like, okay, what are the tourist things to do in Atlanta? We're going on a camping trip next week with the family down to Summersville, West Virginia. I'm looking at what are the five best things to do in West Virginia? Where's the best donut shop in West Virginia? Because I want to find the right thing. I don't want to squander an opportunity. But how often do I squander the opportunities that God faces me with every day? The opportunity to share the gospel with someone. The opportunity to, to love up on someone. The opportunity to serve somebody. The opportunity to pray before I plan. Whatever it might be. I, I, it's easy for me to squander godly opportunities. But, oh, I better not squander some sort of fun opportunity. Right? And so it, it's kind of like I've got to retrain my, my evaluation system. And it doesn't mean that having a great time on vacation, those things are wrong. But I want to put that same effort or even more effort into to really taking advantage of the opportunities God gives me. So we, you have things probably in your life that are similar, right? Things that you elevate and are easy for you to pursue and then things of God that are easy for you to ignore. I don't know what those are. I implore you to take some time to be shrewd and, and take some time to evaluate what those things might be. For me, like I said, it's those those opportunities. I love looking up donut shops and finding the best donut, right? Sometimes I'm more focused on the glaze than I am on the grace of God, right? More focused on the powdered sugar donut than I am on the power of the gospel. Amen? I got more. You want more? Okay. More focused on the raspberry filled donut than being filled up by the Spirit of God. More focused on the cinnamon sugar than the sin forgiveness that God wants to offer the world. <laughs> I got donut puns for days, amen? Okay, one more. I got more, uh, more focus on the eclair than the ecclesia, which is the Greek word for the church, right? Amen. But we've got to be willing to change our value system to really love the things of God, even when it means that uh, we don't know how things are going to turn out. And lastly, I want to focus on the word amen in this story. Okay, I got one more. I'm more focused on apple turnovers than turning over our hearts to worship God. I, I should have left that. I should have stopped. All right. But I want to focus on the word amen, which seemingly is not in the, the passage. The word amen, by the way, means truly or so be it. Uh, Jesus, when he says, truly, truly, I tell you, he's saying amen, amen. You know, listen up. This is trustworthy. And so what scholars have done with this passage, and one of the best ways to understand kind of what the original authors meant as they write this out in Greek, is to take the Greek and then translate it back to Aramaic or to Hebrew. And so if you took this passage, mainly the, the uh, five verses we just read, and you were to turn it back into Hebrew, which the word amen is a Hebrew word, it would read in verse, uh, verse 11 kind of like this. So if you have... Uh, so if you have been amen in handling worldly wealth, who will amen you with uh, true riches? And if you have not been amen with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? Um, and, and it goes on. But the, the, the passage in the Hebrew or in the Aramaic would have been filled with the word amen. And you might be thinking, okay, why is that important? Well, this passage is all about where we put our trust. All about the source of our worth, the source of our security, where, and more importantly, in whom we place our trust. And, it, and Jesus says the world is great at, at fully putting their trust in the wrong stuff, but they do it with great effort. How much more so should we, when we know the true source of worth, put every effort into putting our trust in the source of that great worth in God? That, that's the comparison that Jesus is making. And, and he uses a play on words. 
right? You cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon is, is a twist on the word amen. Instead of the word trustworthy, mammon just, it's kind of a, a God figure of the Old Testament representing the God of money. And it, what it is, is the, uh, the thing of your worth or the thing of trust, the thing that you put your trust in. And so he's saying, stop being mammon people. Stop having these things that are not worth it to get your worth from. And instead, be amen people who put your trust in the right thing. Amen? Amen. amen. <laughs> that's the idea. And so I want us to be a church that's full of amen, full of trustworthiness. And not just being honest with what we do, but making sure that we are serving God wholeheartedly. That we're putting our trust in Him. And holding on to reference the communion this morning, holding on to the right thing. You know, this takes a sense of radical trust, of saying no matter what, no matter what it's going to cost me, I'm going to put my trust in God. And probably for most of us that have been disciples for a while, it's easy to stop living this way. It's easy to stop having this radical sense of trust and let it start to fade out of our lives. So still trust God, to work trusting God into our schedule, but this radical, it's going to cost me everything, that kind of trust, it's easy to, to have leave our, our life. And lastly here, let's go back to the warm welcome. So with that in mind, let us be motivated by the warm welcome that awaits us. Jesus says in, in the teaching there in verse 9, he goes, if you use your, your worldly wealth in this way, you'll receive a, a warm or a uh, eternal dwelling. You'll be received in the eternal dwelling. Now most scholars think that Jesus is referencing the new Jerusalem. Basically saying, you'll receive the right kind of welcome if you're willing to live a life where you have this wise work and you're trusting in the love and the work and the worth that comes from God alone. He's saying, this welcome is what awaits you. This passage is also all about betting on God's mercy and on God's generosity. And saying, it's worth it. He is worth my trust, worth my time, worth my resources. He is worth trusting in. And I'll close here with an, another example of somebody with kind of a shady background who, who goes all in for something important. Let's turn over to Luke 23. You know, the Bible is great at using unlikely sources to be heroes. And in Luke 23, just a few chapters later, we see another liar, another dishonest person hanging on the cross right next to Jesus. And uh, we'll pick up reading in verse 36. It says, The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly and we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me or you will be welcomed into paradise. So here's an example of a dishonest individual, right? Who's at his wit's end, who has no hope, whose sense of security, his life has been ripped from him. And what does he do? He turns everything towards Jesus. He puts his trust in Jesus. His last ditch effort says, hey, remember me. I, I believe who you are. 
remember me when it matters. And he puts his trust, all that he has left, by the way, fully into Jesus. And that's some wise working right there. And through the power of Jesus, he's met with a warm welcome. And this is why I love this picture here, right? That, that this is kind of our, the first day of heaven. I don't know if you can see it fully, but that's Jesus. And a girl just wrapping him up just in, in pure excitement. You know, a warm welcome is waiting for us when we choose to put our trust in Jesus. When we choose to live amen kind of lives where we believe that God is fully trustworthy and we put our whole selves into serving him, to living for him, to loving him, and to trusting in him. What we're going to do now is we're going to pray for our special missions collection. And then we'll take up a, a collection. But I encourage you, in your giving, not just today, but in our lives as we give financially, but also as we give our time to really consider how can I give knowing that this is an act of trusting in who God is. So I'm going to have Courtney come up and pray for our special missions. We'll take up a collection and then we'll close with a song.